Welcome, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Judges on Fire from the Tech Trailblazers. I'm Rose Ross, and I'm the Chief Trailblazer and founder at the Tech Trailblazers. And I'm delighted to welcome today one of our longstanding supporters, an ambassador for tech innovation and startups, Steve O'Donnell. Hello, Steve. Hi, how are you doing, Rose? I am doing very well. How are you doing? Oh, fine. I mean, lockdown can be a bit depressing, but um, actually, we're getting on and getting stuff done. And and I think um, the lockdown has actually really driven technology. The, the whole um, uh, technology business has really enabled us to get safe and um, get away from uh, having to work in cramped conditions and and then have the 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 COVID um, uh, problem actually be more of a problem than it currently is. So, I mean, without Zoom, which is what we're on right now, where would the world be? And um, I think a lot of tech companies have really benefited from this, um, although some companies have found it quite a struggle. Yeah, it's definitely been a challenging time. Um, but out of challenging time comes innovation. Um, and certainly the, the the movement of work from your dining table or your home office has had impacts for you know enterprises such as your own, um, and with it with that obviously for the startups themselves. So it'd be great to just go, go and do a little bit of a recap of your career because you've you've sat in many different seats and worn different hats. If we'll put we'll be mixing up our metaphors a little bit, um, and just when we first met, which is you know a few years ago, um, I know we we sat sat and had a very lovely dinner um, at SNW. We went to a nice restaurant. We were going to Bessie, I believe, with Heidi. And uh, yeah, that was our first introduction. So it would be nice to be doing this over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. But, you know, Zoom is good too. It's good to see your face. So let's have a look at some of the sort of key things in your career, which particularly may be of interest to um, our listeners. So actually, you were um, the the CEO of one of our very first winners, um, Green Bites Virtualization Trailblazer in 2012. Yes, right. Five years ago. Yeah, so so actually, the, the, um, Green Bites uh, won the award before I became the CEO, um, oh. but um, they, uh, they got on my radar, and um, the venture capitalists who backed Green Bites actually reached out to me and asked me to, to help them um, with their strategy, their go-to-market strategy. Mm. Started off as the as the chairman. Uh, I used to commute from London to um, Providence in Rhode Island every month for board meetings. Uh, and eventually I was asked by the board to, to step up and become the chief executive and lead the business uh, through to a trade sale uh, to Oracle, which was reasonably soon after I, I, I took over, which was, which was fine. Um, but, Let's go back to that original meeting and the discussion that we had, and wow. we we talked about you know how do we identify those real trailblazers, those those startups? How do we separate the wheat from the chaff um, and really find the companies that have, have got an opportunity to uh, to be successful? I took a lot of my learning um, because I guess I'm an engineer. That's how I started my life, an engineer doing development work. And I was involved um, in uh, the design of the very first three and a half inch Winchester disc. This was before 
solid state discs. These are the small discs that people put, used to put in laptops. I was involved in that. And then later on, did a whole load of entrepreneurial style stuff, worked as a consultant, ran the merger between Pricewaterhouse and Coopers and Librand, which was a, a big enterprise uh, activity, and um, moved on and um, started working as uh, chief information officer for a number of um, financial services, telecommunications, logistics, insurance. Uh, right now, I am the CIO of the Coventry Building Society, so the second biggest building society in the UK, number one in the buy-to-let space. Um, and I, I really, although I'm quite an old mutual, 135 years old, uh, actually quite innovative in the way that it deals with customers. So I've learned a lot about what is about enterprises need in technology. What is it that really makes a difference? Mm. Learned how do technology companies actually get to market and execute? And how do they get into those customers and really drum up interest? And how do startups get funded? What are the really important things that you need to have on the plate before venture capitalists will take you seriously? And we sat down and we, we talked about this. And I use my experience, if you like, to, to frame the set of questions. And the mm. questions are... So we're re referring now to the questions that entrants... Exactly. ...leap when they enter the awards. Exactly so. So those questions are designed to be similar to the questions that venture capitalists ask themselves about you. Themselves oh. about your business. And they're, they're quite straightforward, really. Do you understand the problem that you're trying to address? That's the first that they'll ask. Now, most early stage companies are really excited about the product that they've developed and they'll go around talking about the product and how great it is and look at all the features and benefits. But quite often, they don't really understand the problem set that they're addressing and the market segment that they're trying to go after. Yeah. That's what VCs are interested in. And actually, by understanding the problem, you're much more likely to be successful than by having the very, very best product on the market. And the questions are designed to take you through that journey. It's a practice session for your discussions with venture capitalists. Because if you think about those questions and answer those questions effectively, and you're approached by a VC later, you've actually done it. You've done the work. Thoughts about what is it? Why do we exist as a business? Why do we exist as a business? What market segment are we going after? Are we going after big enterprises? Are we going after telecommunications companies, financial services companies? Who's our audience? Who's likely to be advantaged by the problem that we're solving and the solution that we're putting on the table? Mm. Those questions are, are really important. And um, sometimes when you're reading through them, you think, oh my goodness, this is, this is a bit of work. I haven't thought of this. Well, let me, mm. if you haven't thought of this, You'll pay for it later. Mm. They are the most important questions that you can ask yourself about your business. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean, they have helped shape, and I, I always think it's really a narrative for your, your pitch deck yeah. at whatever stage of your business that you're in. And that's been really key, and that's also the way that we've developed the marking as well, that we put weight on each of the individual ones, and there's kind of like a free-form part at the end where you and your colleagues mark each individual section 
And then you give like, I think there's about 50 points from your own personal view. You know, this is a bit more the gut of the judge, rather gut gut feeling about, is this a goer? Is this, you know, does this, yeah. Yeah, your imagination going, do you see this as potentially, you know, not necessarily a unicorn, but a very successful tech, you know, enterprise tech startup in whatever category you're looking at? Absolutely so. That's absolutely so. And the question is not just is the product good, mm. but is the market good? So mm. that's a real problem that customers really need to have addressed. And that's actually the critical question. Because mm. customers don't have that problem. And you're pre pulling a, a solution out that uh, addresses a problem that customers don't have. Guess what? Your business isn't going to work. Critical thing is that you've really got to understand the problem and understand that there's a a crying demand from customers for that problem to be solved. Oh. And from your perspective, I mean, obviously you've been leading startups, you've been part of acquisitions, IPOs, which is often the exit strategy for a lot of startups. You know, we look at successful IPOs from uh, some of our winners, Zscaler or should I say Zscaler, um, Nutanix, you know, they've all IPO'd. Many others have been acquired by the likes of Dropbox, Microsoft, HP, you know, we've, we've got a really nice stable there. If we look at the pedigree of the types of organizations who have been called out as winners over the years, and you know, we're approaching the decade now. So this will be an exciting time to look back over those winners and see how far they've come. Um, but with your end user hat on, what, what are you starting to see as the trends that are going, that are emerging that you'd like to see people, you know, already addressing types of problems or looking to address those types of problems? Well, um, I guess software has already eaten the world. So it's mm -hmm. software businesses that really seem to uh, to, to do well. And uh, mm -hmm. on those unicorns, predictable, that was going to be the case, you know. If you look at your business model, if you're a, a consulting company, then your PE ratio, that is the value that you get for your mm -hmm. the revenues and profits that you make, is likely to be fairly low, whilst if you're a software company, that PE ratio, the value that you can bring, is very, very much higher. And the, the reason for that is very simple. It's incredibly difficult to scale a professional services firm, well, hardware firm, because the amount of cash that you need to build, as I, as I was trying to do, a storage business, it's just mm. it's millions and millions and millions of dollars in uh, flash modules and CPUs and all that sort of stuff. Whilst for a software company, mm. there is no cost of sale apart from the development effort that you put into the software. And uh, acquisition um, uh, targets see that. Um, IPO, people who mm. in IPO see that too. They see that the ability to really scale uh, a software business was well, much harder to scale another kind of business. Mm. Not impossible. Um, and you can add real value there, but the software, software is e eating the world. And so the things I'm seeing now that are really important, um, and they've been important for a while, is in financial services, which I've been involved in a lot. In financial services, some some really boring stuff. But my goodness, it's, it's such a big problem for people in financial services. It's about regulation. It's about being compliant. So um, as the world moves away from the financial crises that we've had and all the scandals that we had, Enron and all that sort of stuff, the world's regulators have been getting involved in making it difficult 
for large financial services companies to operate. Well, make sure they're doing the job properly. And some organizations have thousands of staff dealing with regulation. So regulating, I think, is a problem that many CIOs like me are facing and looking for ways to automate that. So being regulatory compliant by design, so you can reduce the costs and improve the, the firm's ability to survive. That's one. Well, I think the other thing is there are many legacy firms, firms that have been in business for a long time, but lots of legacy stuff. Hmm. How do we bridge between that legacy stuff and the modern digital, digital front end, mobile, working at the speed of the internet uh, type of activities? And um, we see things like low code being really, uh, really important. So can you develop code very fast? Can you change it very quickly? Can you reduce the skills required to do that? Things like API-driven capabilities like payment gateways. Uh, lots of businesses now starting up. Uh, there's one, for example, Clear.Bank, um, which is the first new clearing bank in the UK for, I don't know, decades. Um, um, it focuses on providing a payment gateway for customers, and they're, they're not a bank with bank branches, so they're really an electronic service provider. So those, those are a couple of things that are close to my heart at the moment. But, you know, there's still the old things that are, that are going on. We still spend a fortune on storage, um, fortune on networking. We still spend a fortune on security, cyber um, security. And these are all problems that still need to be addressed. Highly competitive, mind you, but they still need to be addressed. And you really need to understand your competition and the market that you're operating in. Definitely. Well, we certainly have seen that in our entries. I mean, last year in 2020, we um, saw you know an unprecedented increase in the number of entries, and I think that was partly because people were more aware of the fact that they needed to have the visibility. We were a very um, cost-efficient way of doing so with a low barrier to entry through the entry fee and. You know, as you say, that that type of information that we're asking for is stuff that should fall out of the executive office fairly easily because it is part of the, the pitch deck that people will be, you know, that narrative. Um, and we were still um, also a great increase in certain sectors and AI, particularly that category went up considerably. Cybersecurity was still very strong um, and still, I think, the the strongest and continue with cloud. So bearing in mind what was happening in the world, that was no surprise, but it was good to see that we were seeing the startup and the innovation element mirroring what's happening in the world. Yeah. So the, 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 the demand was being hopefully met by those innovative players. Um, so that that's good. I mean, obviously our pillars are innovation. We've talked a little bit about that. But I know there's some other things that, that that we're, you know, very passionate about, which are passions that you share, share as well. And one of those is diversity inclusion. And I know that's something that you're very, very committed to and very much, a, you know, an advocate for. How are you seeing that? Because there, there were some shocking statistics that we talked about that came up that 25% of the, the workforce that are disappearing. And obviously this is across the board, not just technology, but I'm sure there's an impact to that, was, um, was women for example, and then perhaps that is, you know, homeschooling is having an impact on home life and people's ability to work and trying to weigh things up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everybody is going to be a challenging time. So 
embracing and nurturing an inclusive environment in technology is is even more hot even harder now because we don't have those social interactions we don't have the water cooler moments we don't have the the, the nurturing environments that that we perhaps would yeah. like to have well you've just outlined a problem haven't you a problem that startups could address how do you get those water cooler moments and um, and actually help to make the culture of organizations survive through uh, all this working from home because there's no question about this 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 is permanent there are more people will be working from home more often now um, than in the past because it's it's a proven way of working there is uh, less social interaction let me go back to your dni your, your diversity and inclusion um question i am really passionate about this because as a leader, as a manager, one of the things that's most important is that you make good decisions. And if all of the colleagues around your leadership table are the same as you, all male, stale and pale, like me, I guess, um, are uh, you're going to end up with groupthink. You're going to end up not seeing the big picture. And seeing the big picture is critically important for making the right decisions. So. You need to have ethnic and gender diversity, sexual orientation diversity, because the leadership decisions that you make need to reflect the customer base that you're trying to address. And if it doesn't, you'll fail. So diversity and inclusion is, is not just an emotional, moral thing. It's like an economic imperative. You've got to get that. You've got to get that diversity of views. That's what, that's what it's about. Now, in technology, um, it's actually quite difficult to achieve gender balance. Uh, ethnicity balance is, is, is much simpler, but gender balance is much more difficult. And um, for societal reasons, psychological reasons, whatever, many women choose not to follow STEM-type um, educations. So women check out of maths and physics and chemistry and computer science at an early stage in their uh, education. And um, we find as, as, as that happens, um, and they, they come up the, uh, the career pipeline, that there's fewer women apply uh, to an IT role. And um, then as you, as you look through the different stages of career from junior to senior engineers to um, IT leadership uh, candidates, there are fewer and fewer women. And in particular, uh, sectors, highly technical sectors, the ratio is very low. So I think I think in the UK, about 13% of um, IT population are female. I think that's the ring. Um, at the commentary, we're at 17%, so we're, we're punching above our weight, mm. but it won't be enough. Well. So how do you recruit more women um, at different levels what you could do positive discrimination that tends to be fairly toxic mind you i don't think it works and i don't think yeah. you actually thank you for it um, i certainly wouldn't <laughs> oh exactly so what, what you can do is you can make some of the the non-salary barriers to joining um your your organization go away mm. so that, that means i think flexible working um, and thinking carefully about part-time working um, mm -hmm. thinking about different ways that you can position your business as being more approachable. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is um, 
making sure you don't have a lads culture. It's very, very easy in an IT department to have a lads culture. The only way you can get rid of that is by bringing in more women. Uh, if you can't find a senior woman in a leadership team, bring up some of them in a larger females and actually get a, a, a view from them too. And then you need to focus on the entry level. How do we get more apprentices um, well, joining the organization? And how do we get more graduate trainees into the organization as well? If you can't compete at the higher levels because there's just not enough women around to compete at the higher levels, you've got to go your own. And I think this is a long march, this, uh, this activity. We've really just got to get stuck into it. And IT, uh, a more approachable place for women to work. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's not going to change. You're not going to shift the needle greatly from this year to next. But I think, I think our aspirations need to be by 2050 or even 2030 that we will have made some more significant inroads. Yeah, well, I mean, IT is a phenomenal career. I've been in IT now for 40 years, okay, mm. um, which tells you something about how old I am. Um, but I have... So you started basically as a child protege, didn't you? Yeah, I started from the wound. Yeah. <laughs> well, perhaps. No, but I really have. I've been in the IT industry for 40 years, and um, uh, it's it's been a fantastic career. Um, mm. My, my career's grown really well through through things. You, it, it's it's a reasonably well paid career. Mm. It's interesting, and there's always IT jobs. You know, um, mm. the the demand for IT jobs is not has not diminished um, since day one when I joined um, mm. as a career path. Yeah, well, we were talking about the skills gap as well, and about the fact that well, why are we still talking about the skills gap? Is because the skills change. So you're always going to have a gap. You know, you've got to re keep people current and, you know, the roles are changing. I mean, if you look at the roles that you now have, you know, in your team, yeah. even, ten, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, they're totally different. You know, a lot of them are very different. Some of them are, you know, very similar, but some have changed considerably and new, not just changed, but are new. No, absolutely. Um, I, I'm thinking about even things like project delivery. We've, we've moved from a very waterfall approach to doing major project prizes to much more agile wow. approach with scrum teams and daily stand-ups and retrospectives and you know backlogs and epics and uh, tripes and all that sort of stuff and very very effective but if you're a project manager and you haven't learned and you haven't developed guess what your job's going away because you're becoming irrelevant and equally if you're in virtualization space or you know you're doing server administration work uh, you're a developer, if you keep your skills up to date and you've got to do it deliberately, um, then your job starts going back downhill, your career um, goes backwards. So you've got to develop, develop or die. Mm. Actually, it's quite an interesting career to choose because you know you can be a doctor, never learn another thing for 10 years and still be a doctor. Wow. But try being an IT guy um, with skills that are 10 years old well, you're probably going to be challenged finding a job. Well, here's an interesting thing. And did you know that February 2021 will be the 20th anniversary of the Man Agile Manifesto? I didn't know that, but that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't surprise me because these things, it's funny, isn't it? These things have a habit of taking longer to embed than you would expect. Mm -hmm. 
But then you look back and you think, well, it's always been like this, hasn't it? Mm. I, I think back to, because I'm an old guy, you know, I think back to the introduction of mobile phones. Mm. Yeah. I remember dial-up modems, which most people who listen to didn't even know they're about it. Oh. The feeling that you used to get from the modem to connect to the internet. I was, I was a very early adopter. Um, mm. And things that Generation Z um, and uh, the alpha generation that are coming up next um, would think, well, hasn't the internet always been here? Well, no, it hasn't. Mm. Um, yeah. Then, you know, but you can, if you look at what's happening in the startup space and you're smart about it, you can actually predict what's going to happen in the future. And that's mm. the key that uh, futurologists and venture capitalists actually use their skills to do that, to see, wait, where are we going to invest to make sure that our money is going to grow really fast? So, I mean, Agile is important. And I know that I first came across Agile when I went to Agile on the beach probably about eight years ago. Uh, and I remember the keynote um, was talking very much about this all very well being Agile in IT. But what happens if you're not in an Agile organization? Because basically, you then start to hit the walls around you. Um, so you can have a, have an impact on your development cycle. Yeah. But in reality, what you need to then do is you need to kind of let that flow through the organization. And yeah. that's starting to happen as well, I would imagine. Yeah, so um, lots, of, lots of large enterprises are, are very uh, directive. So that is that all the way from the board of directors downwards, it's like, you'll do it this way. Um, heavy governance. Mm -hmm. It all, it's all done in a very cumbersome step-by-step -step way. Uh, so the accountability for getting stuff done sits with the board directors, the executives, senior management team, the program directors that are delivering these major programs of work. And what Agile does is it turns it upside down. It moves the accountability for delivery away from the executive team down to the people on the call face actually doing the work. And what happens is if you if you don't commit one way or the other, it's like oil and water. You're going to end up with something that just doesn't work. You end up with conflict in cultures. And I see that frequently. I see companies that are trying to adopt Agile, but actually their, their whole operational thinking is waterfall. And you end up with a train wreck. So you need to do it deliberately. You need to, as you said, you need to bring the whole organization with you. The whole organization needs to be agile and start thinking digital and straight through and and, and just removing exceptions. Mm. So we don't need manual interventions to do stuff. It can all be straight through automatic and um and repeatable without opening a workforce that's um that grows with the the, the size of the business. Mm. So well, sort of to wrap up, because I know we're getting to, towards the end of our time on, on this. Um, what are the sort of the key takeaways that you would share with people? You know, first of all, you talked um, a little bit about um, the importance, before we, we we started recording, a little bit about the importance of awards like the Tech Trailblazers. Do you want to just share a little bit about that, Pat? From your standpoint, as having worked for a company that had got recognition or for a number of companies that have had recognition of awards like that. Yeah. So how do you how do venture capitalists separate the wheat from the chaff? There are thousands and thousands of startups and 
Some of them have got no hope whatsoever. And some of them are the, the perils, real companies that are really going to make it um, with a decent leadership team and so on. And um, I, I think I, I said earlier that the key thing is understand your problem, understand the segment that you're operating in, and be so familiar with the customers that are going to buy from you, familiar with their problems, talk to them, test things out, experiment. Um, don't be disappointed if your experiment fails. It's actually a step forward. You can do another experiment and you keep experimenting and trying and trying until you get it right. Now, I don't know how many times Edison um, had to do his development on his light bulb, but it was thousands of times, wasn't it? Oh, and eventually, he invented the, the incandescent light bulb. Um, hmm. That's the kind of thinking that you've got to have. By experimenting, by really understanding the market and the need to solve that problem, you will win. And what Tech Trailblazers does, because of the questionnaire, because of the way that we structured the award, it actually forces you to think through what it is that you are doing. And if you were lucky enough or good enough to win the award, you suddenly become the wheat amongst the chaff. And the venture capitalists and the customers uh, look at these awards and say, wait, well, why did this firm win this award in this particular category? There must be something interesting. I must go and talk to them. And you're ready, prepared to, uh, to have those conversations and explain why you are a relevant entity, why something to talk about. Um, it is probably the most cost-effective way you can imagine to get that visibility. Oh. You know, you can advertise, you can do search engine optimization. It's not going to matter too much. Everybody else is doing the same thing. But winning through and being recognized by your industry peers that you are exceptional business, that's a buyout for money. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, we, we tick lots of boxes with you because you have been an analyst in the past. You're a CIO now, so um, and obviously you've also been a CEO of a startup. So, yeah, we can tick all sorts of boxes for, with your judging, you know, pedigree. Um, just to wrap up, what are you, what are you, you've talked about the importance of identifying the problem and the problem that people want to be able to solve, and obviously you, as a startup, solving that problem and then you know having it awards and people being aware that you know, one of the problem, because sometimes people just take it as the status quo. That's just the way we do things around here and don't even think about how can we re-engineer this or sidestep this issue um, using technology, whether that's, you know, automation or, or something else that, that is very effective for them. Um, as a startup, I mean, the other, the, the other pillar, so we, for the, the awards, we have the pillars of innovation, diversity and inclusion, um, agility, and also leadership. So obviously you're a leader. You are a leader of a you know a big tech team. What are what are your sort of takeaways? What would you be sharing with people if a CEO of a startup is is listening now? What would you be saying to them? What would be some of the advice you'd want to share with them? Well, choosing your leadership team is the single most important thing that you've mm. got. Everybody has weaknesses. Mm. Everybody has strengths. Um, and you need to build your leadership team that fits together like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. Cover each other's weaknesses and enhance each other's strengths. And so be really careful about who you went mm. with. 
and who you bring into your leadership team. You've got to make sure that they're adaptable. They can deal with large amounts of uncertainty because that's one of the critical things in a, in a startup. You're quite likely to pivot multiple times. Mm -hmm. Experiments are successful or fail. The ideas, the fixed ideas that you had at the beginning are likely to change. So we need an adaptable, strong, emotionally strong team that can punch through and actually then uh, adapt to the new ways of working and, and, and be successful. And they, they also need to be leaders themselves because they're going to be leading the sales team, the marketing team, the development team, the engineering team, um, the finance team, um, and making sure. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they need to be credible. They need to be able to, mm -hmm. everybody in the leadership team needs to be able to sell um, to be able to put across an idea and get it going. I can't emphasize how important that leadership team is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, we're very pleased that you're on our team, Steve. You bring an awful lot to um, the Tech Trailblazers and have done for you know, a very long time. So very much appreciate that. And also appreciate your time today. It's been incredibly insightful and always a, a pleasure to chat with you. So that was Steve O'Donnell who is the CIO of Coventry Building Society and a judge from Tech Trailblazers. And you've been listening to the Judges on Fire podcast from the Tech Trailblazers. I'm Rose Ross, and I encourage you to follow us on social media at Tech Trailblazers or find us on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please let us know. And if you've got ideas for future ones, also let us know. Thank you very much. And thank you, Steve. You're welcome, Rose.